I'm Michael Laurie, and you're listening to the Ulster Rugby Roundup. Hello and welcome to the Ulster Rugby Roundup. I'm Adam McKendry. I'm your host for the next couple of weeks while Gareth Hanna takes a few weeks off. And we are getting stuck into all the European action this week. And joining me to look ahead to Ulster's trip to Bath are Michael Sadler. Hello, hello everyone, not expecting that. You weren't prepared for me to go to you first, that's because I've got the big reveal that Jonathan Bradley is back from Japan and he is here in person. Is this your first podcast since you got back from Japan, like in person? It is, yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Well, good to have you back, Johnny. My first podcast in person in, uh, I don't know, two months, two months, long time. How much Ulster have you got watching so far? I've actually watched it all now, so I have. Um, Sky Plus. Yeah, it was a real productive use of my week off. Um, I don't know I need more to do in my life obviously see you know some people whenever they have their week off like they don't go into the shop that they work in or go into the office but you decide that on your week off you're going to watch more rugby well I used to work in a bar and I used to spend my time not working in the bar in the same bar so it's really just a continuation of a lifelong trade Of course, before we get on to all things European, which starts this weekend, we do have a big Interpro game to look back on. Munster 22, Ulster 16 at Toman Park last Saturday. Tries from CJ Stander, Rory Scannell and Andrew Conway got the win for Munster. Rob Herring went over for Ulster with John Cooney kicking 11 points. Um, Michael, I'll start with yourself good bonus point for Ulster or do you think they could have got something more from that in the end uh, I think they'd be very happy to walk away with the bonus point um, despite the fact that they somehow or other found themselves in the lead I could never see them winning that game and I think they'd still be playing it and they still wouldn't have won it even though they had that lead I think they'd be very happy with uh, the losing bonus point obviously there'll be a certain element of disappointment that they got themselves into a position where they were ahead on the scoreboard and weren't able to close out the deal but uh, I just thought that the way they played the game, it was highly unlikely they were ever going to win it. I think they went to contain and to front up and to be as physical as they could. And in that regard, they achieved it. But I didn't see too much else from them in terms of actually trying to attack the scoreboard and, and, and really put pin monster to the collar. Michael makes a point there of the physical side of the game. and It was clear that Ulster were being very physical. What did you make of the performance, Johnny? I thought the performance was okay, to be honest. Um, Darren Cave, on commentary, made the point a few times that both teams looked better without the ball. And he was bang on. I think if you look at Ulster, when they didn't have the ball, they were pretty good. Um, scrum went well, apart from one penalty. Um, big to get Marty Moore back this week of all weeks. I thought he put in a really good shift in terms of work rate as well as um, as well as at the scrum I think defensively they were pretty good apart from you know the Conway score featured three or four missed tackles and that was the second time they sort of broke through that in between the 12 and 13 channel um, just off the back of, uh, of basically identifying a missed tackle and um, identifying where the props were in the line essentially and if you take that those aspects of the game, I think they were pretty strong. They didn't really look like doing very much in attack. Everything went through John Cooney, he played really well, but there's an understandable lack of familiarity there with um, Angus Curtis at 10. Um, 
probably hadn't played a lot of tennis since whenever he first came over and he was playing for Queens, you know. It seemed like they were really trying to hide him for the first sort of 20 minutes or at least take the burden off him a bit that <clears throat> fly half. Yeah, which I think is understandable um, given the circumstances, but it didn't help their attacking uh, attacking output at all. And they looked, I suppose, pretty blunt in that regard. And defensively, though, you're right, they did look pretty good. They made twice as number of tackles as Munster. But the CJ Standard try was a case in point where it didn't go right, uh, where they were well set and they just lost all. They just weren't able to prevent him with a bit of help from, I think, John Klein or whatever to get over. He had about five guys hanging off him. Yeah, but he also had about three or four in front of him. And he didn't really hit it at great speed. It just was pure brute strength. And they'll be very disappointed that they conceded there because they weren't really stretched um, in the way that obviously they were for Munster's two other tries, out wide and then through the middle. And coming off an error as well, just... Um, the error that got them in the corner. Uh, you know, <coughs> Jacob Stockdale's just... It's just um, the kick, not great, you know. Yeah. It was avoidable, basically. And that's a whole scenario before you even got to the fact that they looked pretty well set to repel the CJ Standard carry. You've mentioned... Stockdale there, obviously him coming back for his first game since the World Cup, Jordy Murphy back in as well. Were you surprised at how quiet Stockdale was given how good he's been for Ulster in previous years? Wasn't surprised. Like I think it's a big ask to go from the World Cup and such a disappointing World Cup when that's been your focus for so long and just sort of like switch back into provincial matters so quickly. Like they weren't even training fully the Irish Internationals. Last week they were doing bits and pieces, and then to go in and start, and again, you know, we go back to the, that idea that there wasn't much fluidity in Ulster's attack anyway, mm-hmm. and we've seen Stockdale for Ireland in the last couple of weeks, or the last couple of months, not getting the ball. It's hard to look good mm-hmm. as a winger when the ball's not coming your way. I mean, he only carried the ball twice, which yeah. I think says a lot about how yeah. much ball was actually coming his way. Yes, yeah, so I, like I wouldn't judge him too harshly on the basis of this game. It'll be interesting to see how he tracks, say that well, basically between now and the Six Nations, really, because I would say by his own admission, he didn't have the World Cup that he wanted, and I think you can tell him so off. I won't check this, but I'm pretty sure that hasn't he only scored two tries since going back to before the European Cup quarterfinal those two tries against Wales am I right in thinking that I think he scored one for Ulster after the European Cup quarterfinal I think he scored one but it's 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 certainly not the strike rate that we were used to before that that's that's for sure and like I'm not saying that's like you know some sort of um, break point that um, he's before and after or anything like that it's just you know that feels like a long time ago now so the ball hasn't been coming his way for a good run of games now before we look at some of the positive aspects of the game it it was another game that was filled with quite a few errors and coming after the zebra game which you could excuse because of the weather is the error count something that Dan McFarland's going to be quite concerned about Michael? Yeah I I think you would as a coach you'd always be concerned about an error count I just think his main concern, though, will be how their consistency throughout a game still hasn't really, you know, hit the mark. They go on very visibly in and out of games, and that's, I think, a worry because 
though you can't play consistently well for a full 80 minutes, you still have to um, produce more than I think they've been able to produce um, at the moment to control the game and to look relatively uh, comfortable in the process of going about winning a game, which I don't really think has been the case so far this season. But clearly, as I think he's alluded to, will have to be seen at the rack uh, come Saturday. One of the things I can take to the rack was that scrum dominance and the set piece that went quite well with Rob Herring's mall chiming. Physically, this Ulster team looks quite good going forward at the moment, doesn't it? I think like physically, they certainly looked ready for the game, probably more so than we're used to really seeing from an Ulster team. Um, almost in a I don't know, like Saracens-esque English-esque way you know, they were up celebrating other teams' errors up celebrating scrum penalties in the face of their opposing props, like they were clearly up for it I don't do, you, do you put that down to an interpro? Do you put that down to the personnel? What? I don't know like, I suppose the main people involved and it seemed to be, you know, Jack McGrath Rob Herring, maybe Sean Reedy. Um, it's interesting because you know you say an interpro. It's, yes, it's an interpro, but there were what, two Ulster-born forwards. Sorry, sorry, two Ulster-born players. No, there weren't any Ulster-born forwards. There were no Ulster-born no Ulster forwards. forwards. There were no Ulster-born players until you got to what? Well, whenever Adam McBurney came on, you got. So Ulster-born forward Stockdale, Marshall, Kluski, Rob Little, and yeah. <laughs> so, well, I wasn't right on any kind there. Four <laughs> Ulster-born players. Yeah. But it's a, it's a good point about the pack. You know, Ulster-born forwards, none started. Uh, Adam McBurney on the bench, uh, and Matty Ray on the bench were the only two. So, you are right in saying that it's not the Ulster. Ulster forwards who are driving it. It's you know your Leinster forwards and your South African forwards. But I think that's just the way the game's got on. To be honest, like you know, it, you know, it doesn't matter that they're not from. No, I exactly. Mean, that's there's, there's, there's an intense rivalry around around the Irish squad, etc. And I mean, there's never going to be a backward step when you get these type of games because they are essentially local derbies anyway. So you know, it doesn't matter that these people tend not to be from here. They'll want to. <coughs> They want to go for the guys down the road, big style, and particularly they think you know you've got the Irish thing going on potentially as well. Though I know Ulster, it's not necessarily quite as marked as the other provinces, and indeed it's hard to know if many of them will necessarily tick Andy Farrell's boxes. But they're always going to be up for taking on your your nearest and dearest. I know we've had plenty of discussions about this before, and Stephen Ferris <coughs> went on about it after the game about there being no Ulster-born forwards starting. So. It's still something that clearly rankles with him, but as I, I get your guys' points, you know. I think I think that it does rankle with people, certainly, but nothing is going to happen in our lifetimes where all of a sudden they're like, Do you know what, we're going to feel the fully Ulsterborn mm. pack because it's just not going to happen. And I mean, you, you can't deny the input that these guys give to games; like they give their hundred percent. Sean Reedy made twenty-three tackles in that game. You know, and you can't say that he wasn't giving his all in that game to 
you know, put himself on the line that many times. No. And Rob Herring's been here forever and mm. no doubt could have went somewhere else and not been stuck behind Rory Best for such a long period of time, you know, so again you wouldn't question his commitment to the calls. I think we're getting going down a rabbit hole here that yeah. we didn't really need to go down. <laughs> So before we move on to Europe, looking at Ulster's first six games, we've got 19 points, four wins, sitting second in Conference A. If you'd offered them this before the season began, do you think they'd have taken it? I don't know. Um, maybe not. I think they've probably gone about par for the course, so you wouldn't take it because you'd no, expect no. it. You would take the opportunity to do better I don't think they were going to do worse I don't mean that as a big uh, detraction on what they have done I think they've done probably about as well as expected and they're nestled in there nicely behind Leinster which is again what you expect exactly. they're al- already 10 points behind Leinster yeah. <laughs> exactly but I mean you know we did expect them to be following Leinster Dan McFarlane make no qualms about the fact that Leinster are the best team in the league so yeah you know, they're second. I think they, you know, I think as you say, they probably expected to be there thereabouts now. And we all knew that the Cheetahs were going to be a different-looking side when they left the uh, the warmth and altitude of Bloemfontein. Bloemfontein. I don't know if they've won any games on the road yet, have they? Not yet. No. 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 So. And then obviously Glasgow um, struggling somewhat in the early goings of the season. It's going to be interesting. I suppose from an Ulster perspective in terms of the conference to see whether them getting their Scottish internationals back creates a bounce back or whether the uncertainty around Dave Rennie uh, the loss of players like Stuart Hogg has really sort of knocked them down almost into uh, you know they could be this year's Scarlets in that you look at it in pre-season and think you know okay, how are we going to get past Leinster and Scarlets and then you throw Edinburgh into the mix and you throw Bennett into the mix Glasgow could be this year's Scarlets in the sense that they're just not the team that um, we thought that they were whenever the conference draw was made because uh, you know, as we say there's an awful lot going on around them it's going to be interesting to see whether their slump in the early season has been down just to uh, losing so many numbers to the Scottish squad well, we will park the Pro 14 for now. There are more important matters coming up on Saturday at 1 o'clock. Ulster begin their Heineken Champions Cup campaign against Bath at the Rec at 1pm um, on Saturday afternoon. It's going to be a cracker, isn't it? Either, either uh, of you. You're optimistic? Uh, I, am, I am optimistic. Europe, uh, Europe always brings out the best in teams. Um, well, um, yeah, it's... It, <laughs> I don't know if it's going to be a cracker exactly, but it's certainly going to be, um, you'd like to think the step up in intensity might be there, there might be that extra edge that you get from this idea of, of cup rugby. Um, I'm, I'm not sure, I mean Bath, we don't really know an awful lot about Bath, they've not had a great start to the season, but then they haven't played that many games and they've got people to, to come back. I don't know if the likes of uh, Anthony Watson... Um, well, I don't think Francois Lowe's likely to be back, is he? Really? Well, it looks like he's still, he might still yeah. be in South Africa, I think. Looks like he's still partying <laughs> in South Africa, so, um, I, I, you know, I don't really know. And, uh, oh, what do you call your flag? Sam Andrew. Well, yeah, yeah, in, in terms of yeah. players who played in the World Cup final, they could have Sam Underhill, 
Francois Lowe is, as we say, still in South Party Africa. On, yeah. Probably will not be playing. Um, but you've also got Anthony Watson, Jonathan Joseph, mm-hmm. uh, Joe Kokonasinga, and uh, Rory McConaughey. He didn't end up playing, but was out there in Japan. Yeah. So th- there are a host of guys that could be back <laughs> for them this week. Yeah. And it probably changes the complexion of the pool, whether they are or not. You know, I think Bath are going to be a wholly different product. You know, th- those are obviously five or six of the best players. Um, they've got a decent record at the rack. Now I know they lost two games there last year in the pools. Obviously, one of them in unforgettable circumstances, and then to Leinster as well. But they actually, you know, going back to the start of last season, those are two of the only four games that they've lost at the rack. The other teams to win there are Exeter and Harlequins uh, in the league and Champions Cup discounting Premiership Cup because so they've got a good record we've seen at the weekend that even without those players they've got a really powerful scrum to the tune of seven penalties at the set mm. piece uh, against Northampton but yeah as Michael says you know we only really have four games to go on four games when they've been missing a lot of players and they've just kind of been you know relatively even keeled I suppose you know they were bottom going into the weekend before Saracen's penalty deduction but then obviously turned over the team that had been top so you can't really read if it's too too early to read much into the Pro 14 it's certainly too early to read anything into the Premiership so I think it's an awful lot of this is going to come down to personnel because you know you read off those names and you just sat there thinking it's an impressive list and it's almost you know there's a real possibility of playing almost two different teams here mm. you know Bath with those players and Bath without those players are going to be a very different proposition uh, you may have also had a, a flavour of what Ulster know they need to bring to this game with the, in the set piece work they did at Thoman Park because they know Bath's scrum is strong and they know they're going to have to match it get any sort of parity in the game to get any foot of the game they, they've, they've got to front up and do this and you saw perhaps this, you know, an element of that being done in Thoman Park that aggression that uh, fairness largely accuracy though I would say that their line, some of their line work was still very poor in Thoman Park it's worth pointing out they threw mm-hmm. two one after the other actually to the front of the line out allowing Peter Romani to meet and drink to him so it doesn't always function well and that was that was frighteningly poor whoever was calling that because you could see Romani was at the front so what do you think you're doing? He's one of their best operators. He's just class act when it comes to getting that done. And they lost two vital lineouts. But in the round, what we saw at the scrum is something they're very much going to have to take to the rack. And it's probably something that they've taken from that game. Gone that that's okay, that's okay. Mm. We'll work a bit on that and we'll move that now forward. But they've got a lot of other things to work on. And of course, as already we may have alluded to, who it is who's going to play at ten. And if they can get Billy Burns back in, and where he has been, and why he has not been seen, because these are we don't really know for sure what well, has happened at this stage. We don't know whether Billy Burns is going to oh, play, maybe about two, of course, or not. <laughs> well, yes, we are recording this before the press conference, so we may be about to find out that he is playing. Um, what we do know is Will Addison and Louis Ludic are back in contention to play. Um, but let's play devil's advocate here. If Billy Burns isn't fit. Who would you guys start at 10? Who would you trust to go to the rack and start at 10? Well, there aren't many options, are there really, anyway? It's really between Bill Johnson and uh, Angus Curtis. 
unless he shifts Tooney to 10, which I don't see them doing anytime soon. Luke Marshall. Would you take Luke Marshall out of the centre where he's been so good? No. Just, you know, throwing out another one. <laughs> we didn't expect to see Angus Curtis wearing the number 10 shirt, and then we suddenly did, so, you know, mm. you quite rightly sort of turned into a lottery now. We don't know what they're going to do. They, they know, and we know, and Bath know that their best 10 is Billy Burns. So um, they have to hope um, that they get him out there, which, of course, presumably lines him up with that enticing match up with his brother Freddie who I noticed is playing fullback mm. for them um, Loads of tens by 15 in premiership it's yeah. weird and, uh, who, who would the other ones be Johnny? Well, Paddy Jackson has Paddy Jackson has been playing I think for the um, so that, that you know we, I can't even remember what, 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 what was the question I can't even remember <laughs> who, Billy would who, who, who would you start at 10 if Billy Burns wasn't available well they didn't start Bill Johnson at 10 in Thoman Park which was odd I don't know why they didn't do that. Um, and then they went with Angus Curtis. I, I honestly, I just can't answer that question. I don't know. I was looking at the stats yesterday of how important it is to win your first game in the in Europe, and I discovered that in the years that Ulster have qualified for the knockouts, they haven't lost their first game. In fact, five of the six times they've won, and the other time was in. 98, yeah, 99. The, the year that they won it, they were 14 the year they won down it, after they, about five minutes. Yeah. So, uh, how important is it to win this weekend? Do you think if they lost, they would they would be already struggling to make it into the knockouts? I feel like this is a really important fixture, purely because just in terms of what's coming down the track. So, you know in your heart of hearts, for the best one or that you're probably not going to go and win in Claremont. And we know from watching Ulster over the last year and a half say that they're not particularly good at getting bonus points either when they lose or when they win it's not one of their strengths so they're almost in a position where they need to do what they did last year and what would have got them through in previous years where they just missed out is win five games which is obviously incredibly difficult to do if you lose your first one and you've got Claremont away well Claremont home and away mm. coming up so it's a huge game um, I would put it I would almost put it up there with the Scarlet's away game last year in that it really whether you win or lose really does change how you look at the pool thereafter even though it's first up though having said that of course they haven't done terribly well when they start away mm-hmm. uh, Bordeaux I think was the last, last time yeah. they lost in Bordeaux and I think the time before that was at the Tigers 2014 they lost that game as well I think it's largely been home games they've started with you have to go way back I think to find another away game they've they've had two away openers since 2003 right well there you are and those are those two the Bordeaux and the Tigers and they lost both both of them Um, so that also has to be taken into consideration it's not an easy task to start away from home and start in that manner of getting that W um but certainly if they don't do it um, on Saturday, yeah, you kind of look at that Claremont away game and you think, no, that, that's not a game you want to be chasing. You, you just don't want to be in that position. So this week is just grind out the win no matter no matter how, no matter how ugly? I don't think they'll care really one way or the other, whether it's ugly or not. That sort of somewhat tears through your, it'll be a cracker line. Yeah. <laughs> I think they'll quite happily take 3-0 and um, yeah. 
I, I don't think they'll have any qualms. Yeah, I'm not worried about that at all. If they were to win 3 or 6 nil, they'd be very happy with that. In terms of team selection, is there anybody over the first six games that you guys think has maybe put their hand up for selection here that you wouldn't necessarily have had in a, in a Champions Cup team before the season began? I think Rob Little's played well. Mm-hmm. Um. I'm going to throw out a name... Matty Ray for a spot on the bench. I think that, I think the starting three of Reedy, Kutsi and Jordy Murphy are pretty entrenched. But I think Matty Ray's done enough to get himself a spot in the would number twenty leaving, jersey. Would that be leaving Timoney out, or would you go like South Africa six two? No, I'd be leaving Timoney out. Okay. Mm. Okay. Well, I, I would say Rob Little's definitely worth a look. Um, I think that when he's been able to to show. Um, what he's good at, which is obviously running with the ball and, and just attacking. He, he, he's shown a little, something a little bit special from time to time this season and has really stressed and worried defences and that's exactly the sort of guy you need. Um, even in the Zebra game, if you remember, he broke out from deep and made you know, a lot of ground and he just looks good. He can also get on the end of little chips and things. He, yeah, he just has something about him that if you needed somebody to, to do something special to perhaps open it up, he, he seems to be able to fulfil that. So with any luck, again, I don't know that he is actually going to get a starting place, but um, I think if he got it, you couldn't really argue that he didn't have it on certainly some merit. So looking at the pool as a whole before everything gets underway, we've spoken about how the Claremont game away is probably the, the toughest game, but what do you think is Ulster's biggest obstacle to potentially getting through this pool do you see anybody else challenging them for second in this pool or absolutely yeah like I see this as a very similar pool to last year's in that I would suspect Bath Ulster and Harlequins are all going in thinking that we need to win our home games obviously and then try and pick up away wins and assume that Claremont are going to be the wrestling. Because I think, you know, there's not a heck of a lot between in these teams. And as we've seen in pre- in the previous years, it pretty much comes down to who can go away and win a game. Or, in Ulster's case last year, who can go away and win two games. But they've, I see it being fairly close. And that's why I think this game's so important, because I think now I haven't looked at the odds or anything but now I think you would have Bath and Ulster's chances of progression probably at fairly similar levels and they're going to move drastically on the basis of what happens on Saturday they are and then as well as the season rolls on the premiership side maybe get a little bit more concerned about where they are on the table though you know what will happen because of the Saracen thing maybe might make a difference to that I don't know um that, that could have a bearing when we get round the corner into January. I don't know. We'll just have to wait and see. So can I ask you both for a prediction for this weekend? Without seeing Bath's team, it's fairly difficult. Like, you know, <laughs> um, I don't know, 16, 12 to Ulster. I, I was looking more for like an Ulster by something, but that'll do. That'll do very well. Um, I'll I'll give, give it a Bath. Bath will win by about between 6 and 10 okay I'm, I'm going to go 
I'm going to go Bath, but I think Ulster will get a losing bonus point. So I'm going to say Bath by two. Ooh, Bath by two. So as, as a podcast, we're going against Ulster this week, which well, yeah. does not bode well as, as a positive podcast, does it? Uh, what was it last week that Ulster would lose narrowly in Munster, I think I said? That's what yeah, happened. that's what happened. Yeah. Um, or as John said, they would win narrowly. And I mean, yeah. it could have. It was flip of a coin for a bit, I suppose. Mm. I, I, no, I, don't, I really don't see them getting out of the wreck the way they've been playing. Something much, much better has to come, and I haven't seen enough evidence to suggest that's there. That's all. I think, to be honest, an awful lot of it from what I've watched, and obviously it's very different watching um, on a laptop rather than being here, they look a much more potent attacking threat with Billy Burns. I think Billy Burns has done some really nice stuff so far this year in terms of going in first receiver and really launching forwards onto the ball inviting them onto the ball rather than what we've seen probably too often last year was forwards taking the ball static and that's creating a lot of space out wide because people are getting sucked in to negate the strength of Ulster's forward carries which is probably not something that we would have really readily associated with them in the past but then watching on I suppose Saturday it looked completely different like the attacking approach the attacking style looked completely different it looked um, didn't look like I was asking as many questions so I mean for me you're really looking at is Burns going to play who of that England contingent is going to play for Bath what condition are they going to be in physically and mentally and then probably just quite simply Obano against Moore as well. You know, those are probably the three I would say keys to the game for me. So it's very hard to make a prediction without knowing, you know. Um well, at least two of those three things. Well there we go. <laughs> at least one thing you could say, hopefully you can say, is that if Ulster had Marcel could say in Thilman Park, that might have made a difference now. We talked about the fact that last week that he, he, he probably looked like he'd be rested which is, seems to be what, what has happened mm. but you will remember that he wasn't there Ian Henderson wasn't there and now there was Billy Burns and if they get those three players back and especially you know hopefully Billy Burns is, is, is good to go and hopefully Hendy's good to go and Marcel you know will, will bring you something that, that, could, that could swing it definitely could swing it Ulster's way there's no doubt about that so it, again it's very hard to be able to, to say anything about these things without knowing what's going on, uh, you know, in relation to selection in that regard. But by all means, do keep listening. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah, Soon I, we will know. I regret asking the question now. And unfortunately, that is all the time we have. Johnny, I will see you in Bath on Saturday. Yeah. Michael, thank you, thank you very much. Thank you very much indeed. And we will see you all again next week. Thanks very much for listening. Yeah.